Chapter Ten of Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. I need hardly say that this public ridicule left me dazed. Desperately, I recalled our calm and orderly England, where such things would not be permitted. There we are born to our stations and are not allowed to forget them we matter from birth or we do not matter and that's all to it here there seemed to be no stations to which one was born the effect was sheer anarchy and one might ridicule any one whomsoever as was actually said in that snarky manifesto drawn up by the rebel leaders at the time our colonies revolted all men are created free and equal than which absurdity could go no farther yet the lower middle classes seem to behave quite as if it were true and now through no fault of my own another awkward circumstance was threatening to call further attention to me which was highly undesirable at this moment when the cheap one-and-six hobbs fellow had so pointedly singled me out for his loathsome buffoonery some ten days before walking alone at the edge of town one calm afternoon where i might commune with nature of which i have always been fond i noted a humble vine-clad cot in the kitchen garden of which there toiled a youngish neat-figured woman whom i at once recognized as a person who did occasional charring for the flouds on the occasion of their dinners or receptions as she had appeared to be cheerful and competent of respectful manners and a quite marked intelligence i made nothing of stopping at her gate for a moment's chat feeling a quite decided relief in the thought that here was one with whom i need make no pretense her social position being sharply defined we spoke of the day's heat which was bland of the vegetables which she watered with a lawn hose particularly of the tomatoes of which she was pardonably proud and of the flowering vine which shielded her piazza from the sun and when she presently and with due courtesy invited me to enter i very affably did so finding the atmosphere of the place reposeful and her conversation of a character that i could approve she was dressed in a blue print gown that suited her no end the sleeves turned back over her capable arms her brown hair was arranged with scrupulous neatness her face was pleasantly flushed from her agricultural labours and her blue eyes flashed a friendly welcome and a pleased acknowledgment of the compliments i made her on the garden altogether she was a person with whom i at once felt myself at ease and a relief i confess it was after the strain of my high social endeavours after a tour of the garden i found myself in the cool twilight of her little parlour where she begged me to be seated while she prepared me a dish of tea which she did in the adjoining kitchen to a cheerful accompaniment of song quite with an honest unpretentious good-heartedness glad i was for the moment to forget the social rancours of the town the affronted dignities of the north side set and the pernicious activities of the bohemians for here all was of a simple humanity such as i would have found in a farmer's cottage at home 
as i rested in the parlour i could not but approve its general air of comfort and good taste its clean flowered wallpaper the pair of stuffed birds on the mantel the comfortable chairs the neat carpet the pictures and on a slender-legged stand the globe of goldfish these i noted with an especial pleasure for i have always found an intense satisfaction in their silent companionship of the pictures i noted particularly a life-sized drawing in black and white in a large gold frame of a man whom i divined was the deceased husband of my hostess there was also a spirited reproduction of the stag at bay and some charming coloured prints of villagers children and domestic animals in their lighter moments tea being presently ready i genially insisted that it should be served in the kitchen where it had been prepared though to this my hostess at first stoutly objected declaring that the room was in no suitable state but this was a mere womanish hypocrisy as the place was spotless orderly and in fact quite meticulous in its neatness the tea was astonishingly excellent so few americans i had observed having the faintest notion of the real meaning of tea and i was offered with it bread and butter and a genuinely satisfying compote of plums of which my hostess confessed herself the fabricator having as she quaintly phrased the thing put it up and so over this collation we chatted for quite all of an hour the lady did as i have intimated a bit of charring a bit of plain sewing and also derived no small revenue from her vegetables and fruit thus managing as she owned the freehold of the premises to make a decent living for herself and child i have said that she was cheerful and competent and these epithets kept returning to me as we talked her husband she spoke of him as poor judson had been a carter and odd job fellow decent enough i dare say but hardly the man for her i thought after studying his portrait there was a sort of foppish weakness in his face and indeed his going seems to have worked her no hardship nor to have left any incurable sting of loss three cups of the almost perfect tea i drank as we talked of her own simple affairs and of the town at large and at length of her child who awakened noisily from slumber in an adjacent room and came voraciously to partake of food it was a male child of some two and a half years rather suggesting the generous good nature of the mother but in the most shocking condition a thing i should have spoken strongly to her about at once had i known her better queer it seemed to me that a woman of her apparently sound judgment should let her offspring reach this terrible state without some effort to alleviate it the poor thing to be blunt was grossly corpulent legs arms body and face being wretchedly fat and yet she now fed it a large slice of bread thickly spread with butter and loaded to overflowing with a fattening sweet panting of the strictest sort was of course what it needed i have had but the slightest experience with children but there could be no doubt of this if its figure was to be maintained 
its waistline was quite impossible, and its eyes, as it owlishly scrutinized me over its superfluous food, showed from a face already quite as puffy as the Honorable George's. I did indeed venture so far as suggesting that food at untimely hours made for a too-rounded outline. But to my surprise the mother took this as a tribute to the creature's grace, crying, Yes, he wasms wasms, a fatty old sing, with an air of most fatuous pride, and followed this by announcing my name to it with concerned precision. Ruggams, it exclaimed promptly, getting the name all wrong and staring at me with cold detachment. Then, Ruggams, 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 as if it were a game, but still stuffing itself meanwhile. There was a sort of horrid fascination in the sight, but I strove as well as I could to keep my gaze from it, and the mother and I again talked of matters at large. I come now to speak of an incident which made this quite harmless visit memorable, and entailed unforeseen consequences of an almost quite serious character. As we sat at tea, there stalked into the kitchen a nondescript sort of dog, a creature of fairish size, of a rambling structure, so to speak, coloured a puzzling greyish brown, with underlying hints of yellow, with vast drooping ears, and a long and most saturnine countenance. Quite a shock it gave me, when I looked up, to find the beast staring at me with what I took to be the most hearty disapproval. My hostess paused in silence as she noted my glance. The beast then approached me, sniffed at my boots inquiringly, then at my hands with increasing animation, and at last leaped into my lap and had licked my face before I could prevent it. I need hardly say that this attention was embarrassing and most distasteful, since I have never held with dogs. They are doubtless well enough in their place, but there is a vast deal of sentiment about them that is silly, and outside the hunting field the most finely bred of them are too apt to be noisy nuisances. When I say that the beast in question was quite an American dog, obviously of no breeding whatever, my dismay will be readily imagined. Rather impulsively, I confess, I threw him to the floor with a stern, Begone, sir! Whereat he merely crawled to my feet and whimpered, looking up into my eyes with a most horrid and sickening air of devotion. Hereupon, to my surprise, my hostess gaily called out, "'Why, look at Mr. Barker. He's actually taken up with you right away, and him usually so suspicious of strangers. Only yesterday he bit an agent that was calling with silver polish to sell, bit him in the leg, so I had to buy some from the poor fellow. And now, see, he's as friendly with you as you could wish.' They do say that dogs know when people are all right. Look at him trying to get into your lap again. 
and indeed the beast was again fawning upon me in the most abject manner licking my hands and seeming to express for me some hideous admiration seeing that i repulsed his advances none too gently his owner called to him down mr barker down sir get out get out she continued seeing that he paid her no attention and then she thoughtfully seized him by the collar and dragged him to a safe distance where she held him he nevertheless continuing to regard me with the most servile affection ruggums 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 exploded the child at this excitedly waving the crust of its bread behave mr barker called his owner again the gentleman probably doesn't want you climbing all over him the remainder of my visit was somewhat marred by the determination of mr barker as he was indeed quite seriously called to force his monstrous affections upon me and by the well-meant but often careless efforts of his mistress to restrain him she indeed appeared to believe that i would feel immensely pleased at these tokens of his liking as i took my leave after sincere expressions of my pleasure in the call the child with its face one fearful smear of jam again waved its crust and shouted welcomes while the dog was plainly bent on departing with me not until he had been secured by a rope to one of the porch stanchions could i safely leave and as i went he howled dismally after violent efforts to chew the detaining rope apart i finished my stroll with the greatest satisfaction for during the entire hour i had been enabled to forget the manifold cares of my position again it seemed to me that the portrait in the little parlour was not that of a man who had been entirely suited to this worthy and energetic young woman highly deserving she seemed and when i knew her better as i made no doubt i should i resolved to instruct her in the matter of a more suitable diet for her offspring the present one as i have said carrying quite too large a preponderance of animal fats also i mused upon the extraordinary tolerance she accorded to the sad-faced but too demonstrative mr barker he had been named i fancied by some one with a primitive sense of humour i mean to say he might have been facetiously called barker because he actually barked a bit though adding the mister to it seemed to be rather forcing the poor drollery at any rate i was glad to believe i should see little of him in his free state and yet it was precisely the curious fondness of this brute for myself that now added to my embarrassments on two succeeding days i paused briefly at mrs judson's in my afternoon strolls finding the lady as wholesomely reposeful as ever in her effect upon my nature but finding the unspeakable dog each time more lavish of his disgusting affection for me then one day when i had made back to the town and was in fact traversing the main commercial thoroughfare in a dignified manner i was made aware that the brute had broken away to follow me close at my heels he skulked strong words hissed under my breath would not repulse him and to blows i durst not proceed 
for i suddenly divined that his juxtaposition to me was exciting amused comment among certain of the natives who observed us the fellow hobbs in the doorway of his bake-shop was especially offensive bursting into a shout of boorish laughter and directing to me the attention of a nearby group of loungers who likewise professed to become entertained so situated i was of course obliged to affect unconsciousness of the awful beast and he was presently running joyously at my side as if secure in my approval or perhaps his brute intelligence divined that for the moment i durst not turn upon him with blows nor did the true perversity of the situation at once occur to me not until we had gained one of the residence avenues did i realize the significance of the ill-concealed merriment we had aroused it was not that i had been followed by a random cur but by one known to be the dog of the lady i had called upon i mean to say the creature had advertised my acquaintance with his owner in a way that would lead base minds to misconstrue its extent thoroughly maddened by this thought and being now safely beyond close observers i turned upon the animal to give it a hearty drubbing with my stick but it drew quickly off as if divining my intention and when i hurled the stick at it retrieved it and brought it to me quite as if it forgave my hostility discovering at length that this method not only availed nothing but was bringing faces to neighbouring windows and that it did not the slightest good to speak strongly to the beast i had perforce to accompany it to its home where i had the satisfaction of seeing its owner once more secure it firmly with the rope thus far a trivial annoyance one might say but when the next day the creature bounded up to me as i escorted homeward two ladies from the onwards and upwards club leaping upon me with extravagant manifestations of delight and trailing a length of gnawed rope it will be seen that the thing was little short of serious it's mr barker exclaimed one of the ladies regarding me brightly at a cutlery shop i then bought a stout chain escorted the brute to his home and saw him tethered the thing was rather getting on me the following morning he waited for me at the ploughed door and was beside himself with rapture when i appeared he had slipped his collar and once more i saw him moored each time i had apologized to mrs studson for seeming to attract her pet from home for i could not bring myself to say that the beast was highly repugnant to me and least of all could i intimate that his public devotion to me would be seized upon by the coarser village wits to her disadvantage i never saw him so fascinated with any one before explained the lady as she once more adjusted his leash but that afternoon as i waited in the trap for mr jackson before the post-office the beast seemed to appear from out the earth to leap into the trap beside me after a rather undignified struggle i ejected him whereupon he followed the trap madly to the country club and made a farce of my golf game by retrieving the ball after every drive this time i learned the child had released him 
it is enough to add that for those remaining days until the present the unspeakable creature's mad infatuation for me had made my life well-nigh a torment to say nothing of its being a matter of low public jesting hardly did i dare show myself in the business centres for as surely as i did the animal found me and crawled to fawn upon me affecting his release each day in some novel manner each morning i looked abroad from my window on arising more than likely detecting his outstretched form on the walk below patiently awaiting my appearance and each night i was liable to dreams of his coming upon me a monstrous creature sad-faced but eager tireless resolute determined to have me for his own musing desperately over this impossible state of affairs i was now surprised to receive a letter from the wretched cousin egbert sent by the hand of the tuttle person it was written in pencil on ruled sheets apparently torn from a cheap notebook quite as if proper pens and decent stationery were not to be had and ran as follows dear friend bill well bill i know god hates a quitter but i guess i got a streak of yellow in me wider than the comstock load i was kicking at my stirrups even before i seen that bunch of whiskers and when i took a flash of them and seen he was intending i should go out before folks without any regular pants on i says i can be pushed just so far well bill i beat it like a bat out of hell as i guess you know by this time and i would like to seen them catch me as i had a good bronc if you know whose bronc it was tell him i will make it all okay the bronc will be all right when he rests up some well bill i'm here on the ranch where everything is nice and i would never come back unless certain parties agree to do what is right i would not speak pieces that way for the president of the u s if he asked me to on his bended knees well bill i wish you would come out here yourself where everything is nice you can't tell what that bunch of crazies would be wanting you to do next thing with false whiskers and no right pants i would tell them i can be pushed just so far and now i will go out to the ranch with sourdough for some time where things are nice well bill if you will come out jeff tuttle will bring you wednesday when he comes with more grub and you will find everything nice i have told jeff to bring you so no more at present with kind regards and hoping to see you here soon your true friend e g floud p s Mrs. Effie said she would broaden me out. Maybe she did, because I felt pretty flat. Ha ha. Truth to tell, this wild suggestion at once appealed to me. I had an impulse to withdraw for a season from the social whirl, to seek repose among the glens and gorges of this cattle plantation, and there try to adjust myself more intelligently to my strange new environment. In the meantime, I hoped something might happen to the dog of mrs judson or he might perhaps in my absence outlive his curious mania for me mrs effie whom i now consulted after reading the letter of cousin egbert 
proved to be in favour of my going to him to make one last appeal to his higher nature if only he'd stick out there in the brush where he belongs i'd let him stay she explained but he won't stick he gets tired after a while and drops in perhaps on the very night when we're entertaining some of the best people at dinner and of course we're obliged to have him though he's dropped whatever manners i've taught him and picked up his old rough talk and he eats until you wonder how he can it's awful sometimes i've wondered if it couldn't be adenoids there's a lot of talk about those just now some very select people have them and perhaps they're what kept him back and made him so hopelessly low in his tastes but i just know he'd never go to a doctor about them for heaven's sake use what influence you have to get him back here and to take his rightful place in society i had a profound conviction that he would never take his rightful place in society be it the fault of adenoids or whatever that low passion of his for being pally with all sorts made it seem that his sense of values must have been at fault from birth and yet i could not bring myself to abandon him utterly for as i have intimated something in the fellow's nature appealed to me i accordingly murmured my sympathy discreetly and set about preparations for my journey feeling instinctively that cousin egbert would not now be dressing for dinner i omitted evening clothes from my box including only a morning suit and one of form-fitting tweeds which i fancied would do me well enough but no sooner was my box packed than the tuttle person informed me that i could take no box whatever it appeared that all luggage would be strapped to the backs of animals and thus transported even so when i had reduced myself to one park riding suit and a small bundle of necessary adjuncts i was told that the golf sticks must be left behind it appeared there would be no golf and so quite early one morning i started on this curious pilgrimage from what was called a feed corral in a low part of the town here the tuttle person had assembled a goods train of a half dozen animals the luggage being adjusted to their backs by himself and two assistants all using language of the most disgraceful character throughout the process the tuttle person i had half expected to appear garbed in his native dress mrs effie had once more referred to that indian jeff tuttle but he wore instead as did his two assistants the outing or lounge suit of the western desperado nor though i listened closely could i hear him exclaim ugh ugh in moments of emotional stress as my reading had informed me that the indian frequently does the two assistants solemn-faced ill-groomed fellows bore the curious american names of hank and buck and furiously chewed the tobacco plant at all times after betraying a momentary interest in my smart riding suit they paid me little attention at which i was well pleased for their manners were often repellent and their abrupt direct fashion of speech quite disconcerting the tuttle person welcomed me heartily and himself adjusted the saddle to my mount expressing the hope that i would get my fill of scenery and volunteering the information that my destination was one sleep 
away. End of chapter 10